Hey everyone, and welcome back to the CBIS Show. I'm your host, Colin Bish. Welcome back, everyone, to the CBIS Show. I'm so excited to be back here with all you guys, talking to you guys. Um, for those that don't know why I took a like a couple weeks off, like basically, I just wanted to focus on college finals. That's all. Um, I did say that on my Instagram story, though some of you may not be following my Instagram, so you may not have saw it, but I did take a break. Um, then, once I was done with finals, I was focused on coming back home to Erie and just kind of like get in the groove of things, like going back to work and going to the gym, and I've found that groove, and I've been uh, preparing this episode for the past week, and I'm very, very excited. Uh, to get back to doing this because it, for those first three episodes I did it was so much fun it really was I I enjoyed it so much and I enjoyed talking to you guys I enjoyed talking about these topics it was a whole lot of fun but I had to put it for I had to put it to the side for the greater good but now we're back and real quickly I just want to thank you guys I've heard a lot of support a lot of love just wanted to get that out of the way and get right into the episode because there's a lot of topics. And although I could, uh, uh, although I could go back uh, and talk about like all the stuff that happened when I was gone, but I'm not going to because that would be a long episode. And although there was a lot of great stuff that happened in playoff hockey, playoff basketball, baseball, and the NFL draft happened, you know, maybe I could, uh, maybe I could probably come out with a. Uh, I couldn't use the same thing, maybe and probably, but anyways. I could probably come out with a um, draft recap and like how I think each team did. I know it'd be a while after, but I think, but I think you know, having done a mock draft, I think it would be a nice follow up. But that's for the future. Right now, um, I got a lot to talk about. It's a lot that happened in basketball. Quite a lot. It's- some hockey stuff going down. Uh, obviously, the conference finals have started, and a lot of big news coming from combat sports. So to kick it off in the NBA in the Western Conference Finals, Game One and Game Two against the Los Angeles Lakers and the Denver Nuggets got underway. Game One was a Game One looked to be um um it, it, at first it was looking like a blowout for the Nuggets. However, the Lakers played really well in the second half. Were able to come with come very close. Though Denver was able to hold on to the lead and secure game one, they took they took a 1-0 lead. Nicole Jokic had an insane performance: 34 points, 21 boards, 14 assists. You know th- that those are MVP numbers, and uh, that I'll allude to the that's alluding to the MVP. I'll talk about that in a second. But, you know, Nikola Jokic was very impressive, but as was Anthony Davis, his 41 points, um, I think led all scorers that night, however, was not enough. Um, Bruce Brown was really good off the bench, He fall- and he followed that up, he followed that uh, impressive uh, performance in Game 1 with a good Game 2, now I'll get to Game 2. LeBron's- LeBron was pretty bad from 3, and though he was great in the paint, but... Will the lack of the three-point shot hurt him in the next game? It kind of did. Because in game two, the Lakers held a lead for, I think, most of the game going into the second half. Um, The Nuggets were able to surge back thanks to an insane Jamal Murray um, uh, fourth quarter. He scored like 20 
plus in the fourth quarter. He hit like six threes. It was crazy. Uh, Anthony Davis, this is like the thing that's been following him like the whole playoffs. Like he had a great performance, 41 points. I think he had a double-double. If not, he was probably close. But yeah, a great performance, and then he followed it up with a dud. He went four for 15. Um from the field just not what you want I mean he did get to the line a lot and he was making a good amount of them but like 4 for 15 uh, you definitely want a lot more from your um, from your star big man uh, Reeves is Austin Reeves is really continuing to build his stock he uh, got up to a kind of slow start in game 1 but he really picked it up in the second half and he was actually tied in game 2 with LeBron uh, for the Lakers' lead in points at 22, I believe. But, however, wasn't enough as the um, as the Nuggets were able to prevail where they were able to make that comeback, led by Jamal Murray in the fourth quarter. They take a 2-0 series, head back to Crypto.com Arena. A very interesting series so far. You know, the highlight, the highlight has been not so much on the Nuggets, but more so on the Lakers, and this is some. And this is something that uh, Michael Malone, uh, Denver's head coach, had alluded to. He, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said, you know, like the narrative is kind of like, what's the what? What are the adjustments that the Lakers are gonna make? You know, um, everybody's focusing on them, but we're just gonna focus on us. We're gonna go out there win game two. They did, you know, and with how much. Like, I've been scrolling through social media and trying to get information in for this podcast and trying to get, like, different views and stuff. I've really been noticing, like, the amount of attention that's on the Lakers. And I get it. They're the Los Angeles Lakers. And LeBron James is on their team. You have Los Angeles Lakers plus LeBron James. You mush that together. You get a media firestorm. You get all the media converging around them because you have one of the most marketable teams in North America. And you have one of the most marketable players, not just in North America, but in the world. You put that together, people are going to have eyes on them. However, it's just like when you see the performances that the Nuggets put up and you see the amount of... Lakers, like, um, amount of attention that the Lakers have been getting. Like, they're talking about the flagrant one that D'Angelo Russell got in game two. They were talking about LeBron's missed dunk where he where he was going up for a dunk but the ball slipped out of his hands. Uh, they're talking about all this. You know, like, oh, the Lakers, you know, they just missed out this opportunity. You know, was this a flagrant one? If, you know, I'm not, like, here complaining about the Lakers and being like, oh, they get too much attention, but you know, I, I think it's fair to put the attention on the Lakers because people came in, they're like, hey, p- people come into the Western Conference Finals like, hey, these Lakers are dangerous, man. They're dangerous. You know, they could go up early on the Nuggets. But, you know, when the Nuggets go up early, they go, they're up 0-2 now. Or 2-0, excuse me. They're up 2-0 now. And you're kind of looking at that like, you know, it shouldn't more eyes be on Denver, but it still feels like the eyes are shifted to the Lakers. And I get it. You know, there's a lot of big storylines going on with the Lakers right now, even ones that don't pertain to this very situation. That People are talking about Austin Reeves. Like, you know, he's been dominating in the playoffs. He's had a pretty, he's had great game to, a great game one and game two. His stock is continuing to rise. They're talking about, like, you know, can the Lakers be able to get him? Um, they talk about Anthony Davis, like, oh, he had a great game one, but he had a poor game two. They talk about D'Angelo Russell and the fact that he's pretty inconsistent throughout the playoffs. They'll talk about um, 
Rui Hachimura being a better matchup for Nikola Jokic. And talk about LeBron's uh, and talk about LeBron's poor three point shooting and the Western Conference Finals. They talk about everything, focusing on the Lakers, but it doesn't feel like they're putting enough respect on the Denver Nuggets. That's how I see it. Because right now, the Denver, in my opinion, the Denver Nuggets are probably playing the best basketball. They probably that was probably the best basketball they put could have played on their home court, to be able to uh, have that offensive performance, to have those performances from Nikola Jokic to to power them to that win, and Jamal Murray coming up big, and everybody's firing on on all cylinders. Michael Porter Jr. has been a great third option for them. He's been very very good. You know, he's been great. Payne, he's been great shooting the three. Um, Catavius Colwell Pope and Bruce Brown have also been really good um, from the three. Well, not just from the three, but they've been good all around. Like, the Denver Nuggets right now are playing extremely well. The issue is just, you know, the Lakers. Because they're the Lakers, because they have LeBron, the eyes are on them. And you're like, what, what will the Lakers do? I don't have that answer. I think it comes down to, uh, well, I don't think it all comes down to LeBron, like, getting better from three because his, you know his poor three-point performance you know his poor three-point shooting right now it's it's alarming it for sure is because he's like what one for 10 one for 12 something like that it's really bad but right now you know like although he's not shooting a three ball well he's still getting to the paint he's still getting there it's just that, you know, you, you you want, like, even at 38, like, you want more out of LeBron, which is crazy to say because, like, a 38-year-old guy, it's like, eh, we wouldn't expect much out of him, but this is LeBron James. We, we're expecting him to be a all-around volume scorer. Now, we know he can dump, we know he can get to the mid-range, we know he can get to the paint. We just want to know if he can get on track from beyond the arc. We also want to know if Anthony Davis um, can have back-to-back solid performances because that's really been his, like that's his been his gist throughout this entire playoffs. Great performance, then a dud, and then back to another great performance, and then another dud. It's just it, it's a continue. It's it's just a pattern, you know. And they're gonna fo- and the media is gonna focus on that, right? And that's fine, you know. The it, it you know it makes sense, right? You know, the Lakers are the more marketable team, blah, blah, blah. You want to say this, you want to say that. Ignore what they say. If you want to support, if you want to question what the Lakers are doing right now and like, oh, what can they do to bounce back, you know, in games three and four, go for it. If you want to show respect to the Denver Nuggets for being able to get up 2-0 on a very dangerous Lakers team, go for it. Nobody's stopping you. You don't have to complain to about the media like, oh, you know, they're just always going to focus on the Lakers. Like, you don't, you don't need to follow the media. You don't need to f- just focus on the Lakers. And you, know, you don't have to cry foul and be like, to put more respect on the Nuggets. Why don't you just respect the Nuggets? Like, and, and you know what? If Denver wins Game Three or Game Four, you know, it, 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 you're, you're gonna have to put respect on them then. You really are. So people crying foul and saying like, oh, media keeps hogging on the Lakers, blah, 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 blah. You know, just, you know, leave it. It. What do you, do you expect something less? You know, and I'm going on a bit of a rant right now. Uh, uh, so my apologies. But that's just something that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, 
uh, like, oh my gosh, it's so shocking that a more marketable team is getting more attention than a less marketable team. Oh my gosh, how could this poss be possible? Like, you know, some people, some people lack common sense. Some people lack the ability to process things. It is what it is. But all in all, shout out to the Denver Nuggets. They are playing very well right now. They are like on all cylinders, as I said. Starting the stars have been great. Jokic and Murray have been fantastic. Fan Murray didn't even have that good of a game too until he lit it up in the fourth quarter. He's still playing pretty well. The role players are playing very well. You know, I would like to see a little bit more out of Aaron Gordon. You know, kind of more as just, uh, you know, a guy. Uh, a kind of more as just like a guy in space. Like, um, more on the wing, kind of taking threes. I know it's not his forte, but like, it, you know, Aaron, like, you know, Aaron Gordon can't just, you know, be there for just one highlight alley-oop all the time. You know, I feel like Aaron Gordon can do more, you know. Because you've got KCP who's been playing well, Michael Porter Jr., and obviously Jokic and Murray are playing well. If you get Aaron Gordon going, like, and you get all five of those guys, you know, going on all cylinders, like, you know, it's going to be really tough for the Los Angeles Lakers to come back if all five starters are playing at an incredibly high, efficient level. And the bench for the Nuggets has been pretty good, too. Specifically, I, I mentioned earlier, Bruce Brown's been very impressive. And as for the Lakers, they're really going to need to have to, um, they're really going to have to sure up their three-point shooting woes. Because, you know, outside of Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura, and to be honest with you, Rui Hachimura, like, you know, he's he's a bad three-point shooter, but, you know, he, he's been making his threes in the playoffs, but he doesn't take a lot of threes. That's the issue. But outside of, like, maybe Reeves, like, their three-point shooting has been very, very bad. Um, so I'm not saying that's going to be the end-all, be-all of their um of their of this series but if they can find a way to contain Nikola Jokic and I'm not saying like that's like oh put Rui Hachimura on him I think like you can't like if we've seen anything from Nikola Jokic in these past three seasons you can't stop Nikola Jokic you just have to contain him that's all you need to do if you contain him because the dude is an insane playmaker as I said like in, in in game one, 34 points, 21 boards, 14 assists. He's he is the he's the driving force of the Nuggets offense. If you some if you find a way to contain him and limit his ability to you know maneuver that Nuggets offense, the Lakers have a much better chance of winning. And you know whether that be with Anthony Davis if he shores up his defensive performance against um, Nikola Jokic, and I don't even think. Um, AD's uh, defense defense against Nikola Jokic has been bad. It's just Nikola Jokic is so good, but I th like that's that is what I would you know that's that may seem obvious and it is obvious. Like you would want to contain Nikola Jokic and you would want to try everything possible to contain him because your back's against the wall. You're down 0-2. You're back in your home arena. Yes, but you know. If game if you lose game three, the series looks really bleak. It really does. So you know that's that's what I would yeah, is just try to contain Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, yeah, because if those two if especially Nikola Jokic again because he if he's not allowed to control the offense, it kind of messes their whole oh, that kind of messes their whole thing up. Los Angeles could take advantage of that. Moving on to. 
the Eastern Conference. Uh, game one, I'm recording this a little after game two ended, So, and I got it right here with me on my phone, so I'll basically go over what happened a little bit. But uh, Jimmy Butler took over in game one to give Miami a 1-0 lead. Uh, Miami responded to a big first half by Boston with a 46-25 third quarter. Uh, Jimmy Butler scored 35 to go along with five boards, seven assists, six steals. He hit a crazy three-pointer with a minute to go that basically sealed the win for the Heat. You know, Miami's X, it's, it's impressive because Miami's X factor in this playoffs has been the same three-point shooting. Like, during the regular season, they really struggled to shoot the three, and that's why they were so good last year. That's why they nearly went to the NBA Finals was because they were such a great three-point shooting team. You know, this se- th- though this season they really struggled, and then all of a sudden, once the playoffs come around, they're just firing beyond the arc. And they've got, like, man, they've got such a variety of 3 and D guys, or not 3 and D guys, but just great three-point shooters. Um, like, you've got Gabe Vincent, Matt Struess, Kevin Love, Caleb Martin, Duncan Robinson. Like, they, like they live beyond the arc. And the issue before was they were they just weren't making their shots. Now they are. Um, in game one, Malcolm Brogdon did have a big game. You know, even though the Celtics came up short. And I said here in my notes, I think he continues that play into game two. Celtics tie the series. I was wrong. They were very close to tying the series, but Jimmy But like Grant Williams, he started chirping at Jimmy Butler. That's not a good idea. This is Jimmy Butler we're talking about. And Jimmy Butler willed his team to come back. And as I say this, uh, as I'm talking about Malcolm Brogdon, Malcolm Brogdon went 4 for 9 uh, from the field, 1 for 5 from 3 with 13 points. So, yeah, he probably was not. He probably was not the best. Uh, that probably was not the best take. My apologies, though. But yeah, as I said, um, nearing the end of the game, uh, Grant Williams, or I, I, I know it was in the second half, I don't know if it was like in the fourth quarter, but Grant Williams, he started John at Jimmy Butler, and if you've seen how Jimmy Butler's been playing in this playoffs, like, it's the same thing with LeBron against the Grizzlies. You want to poke the bear? You're going to get the bear. You And the, the Heat got the bear. Jimmy Butler... Um, was led the Heat in points with 27 to give Miami a 2-0 lead. Mind you guys, Miami, in eighth seed, now has a 2-0 lead against the defending Eastern Conference champions going back home, right? It, it, look, okay, call me crazy. Is it wrong to say that this might be the best eighth seed ever? Because I personally think it is. I think this I think this team's better than the nineteen ninety nine New York Knicks. I seriously think it is. Because you've got an insane array of players who are able to just do their job and their job is to just shoot to it's to shoot threes efficiently. They've been doing that. You know, you've got such an underrated uh second guy, a bam out of bio, who makes so, who is so big in he, he whenever he's you know, whenever the Heat need him, he's there. Bam, he had 22 points, 17 boards, 9 assists, a near triple-double, including a big offensive board in the fourth quarter that led to a putback. That was huge for the Heat at that led them to their fourth quarter comeback and gave them the win in the first place. And then Jimmy Butler. 
Like, pe- like people are now the narrative. Like, you've got people saying, like, oh, people like Jason Tatum and Devin Booker want to pretend like they're Kobe. But if there's anybody that's even remotely close to Kobe, like, look at Jimmy Butler. You know, I don't want to say that Jimmy Butler is the closest we've seen to Kobe. But, like, I mean, the way he's been playing in this playoffs, he's been on a mission. And if the Heat are able to finish the story, shout out to Cody Rhodes, but if the Heat are able to finish the story and win the NBA Finals, it, it like he's already established. You know, Jimmy Butler's already established himself as a playoff legend. If he leads his team to an NBA championship as an eighth seed, it doesn't matter. You know, obviously he's going to be the defending Eastern Conference Finals, Eastern Conference champions in the Celtics. And it doesn't matter if he beats the Lakers because the Lakers have been great in the playoffs. You know, if he beats the one-seeded Nuggets, though, if the Heat beat the one-seeded Nuggets, like, this is going to put Jimmy Butler into a whole other level of playoff performer. It might also create the narrative that Jimmy Butler is a better playoff performer than LeBron, which is entirely not true. But, you know, to each their own. To each their own. All in all, Jimmy Butler is insane. Is he Michael Jordan's son? I don't know. But he certainly plays like it, you know? Um, but, Jim, yeah, you know, for the Celtics, though, I've talked a lot about the Heat, you know, raving about Jimmy Butler because he's been absolutely incredible. And Bam Adebayo has been so efficient. He's been such an underrated player. And that whole team's just playing really well right now. But now, you're, but now when you look at the Celtics right now, and you've got Jason Tatum, who had, like, back-to-back 30-point performances. You know, he played pretty well. But then you look at Jalen Brown, right? Jalen Brown had a pretty bad game one. Uh, didn't really make that much of an impact. And Jalen Brown followed that up with a 7-of-23 performance and 1-of-7 for 3. That, to me, is very alarming. Because, yes, Jason Tatum can do all he wishes, Right? Jason Tatum could do all he wants, but if he doesn't have that other J, if he doesn't have Jalen, the other J backing him up, you know, efficiently, Jalen Brown, like, you know, what's the point? Because those, when those two click, the Celtics are near unbeatable. But in back-to-back games, back-to-back big games, you have the Boston Celtics going up in the first half-ish, and then the Heat come back in the second half close out the game and take and now they're taking a 2-0 lead most of it i feel is on jalen brown because you know he's played really bad in the play in the eastern conference finals so far and that's very alarming if you're um the boston celtics so you're just hoping that jalen brown comes out with a much better performance in game three as the heat advance to nothing i'm trying to get up oh, okay uh, I did not say this. I I, I want to cut this off recently. I just saw that. I'm just seeing now that the Vegas Golden Knights uh, won game one of the Western Conference Finals in the NHL. I apologize for that. I was looking for that. That's my bad. Uh, moving on, the draft lottery took place, and the San Antonio Spurs won the number one overall pick, and they're likely to draft another generational big man. The first time, it was David Robinson, the Admiral. The second time, it was the big fundamental in Tim Duncan. Now, it's probably... Now, the number one pick for the San Antonio Spurs is likely to be one of the best 
draft prospects we've seen in basketball ever in Victor Wembanyama, the French sensation. Um, I, I uh, the following the top five goes as follows. Again, Spurs were number one. Hornets got the number two pick. Blazers jumped to number three. Rockets at number four. Pistons, with the worst record in the NBA, fell to number five. I think it's pretty cut and dry that, you know, the Spurs are going to be drafting Victor Wembanyama here. I don't think, like, if you guys remember, like, there's a bun- there's been a bunch of, you know, graphics coming up. Like, David Rob- when David Robinson got drafted, the Spurs immediately got so much better. When Tim Duncan got drafted, the Spurs immediately got so much better. You know, and they're at, like, oh, can Victor Wembanyama do the same? Like, I don't know. Because the Spurs... Because, like, at least the Spurs, you know, they had really good players. Like, well, they had, and, and good coaching, that too. But this this past season, the Spurs roster was awful. It was bad. I, I, I don't think that, like, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Greg Popovich will definitely be very big in Victor Wembanyama's development, for sure. However... I just don't think that they can make that big leap, you know, that they had when they drafted David Robinson and when they drafted Tim Duncan. I just don't think that that leap is possible because their team is just, like, it's just not up to par with, like, everyone else. Like, you know, most most NBA teams right now, they've got good guards. And no disrespect to these guys, but do you? But you're gonna tell me right now that a team that a backcourt that a team with a backcourt of Trey Jones and Devin Vassell is gonna all of a sudden become a 50 win team next year? You know, I get it. You got Keldon Johnson, you got Jeremy Scohan, but like just the rest of that team is just not that good compared to uh, the compared to when the the first year that David Robinson played and the first year that Tim Duncan played. Like those those rosters are so astronomically different because the, the because not only the elite coaching at the time because you know but like just the roster. The roster is the the Spurs roster now is just so much worse. So, you know, don't expect the Spurs to take a huge leap. I think they'll take a leap, but it, I don't think it'll be that big. I'm just very interested to see how Victor Wembanyama develops under Greg Popovich because Greg Popovich is one of the best coaches ever in any sport and he was huge in developing Tim Duncan. You know, you think you think if you really think about it, you know, you one one could question like, you know, would Tim Duncan be Tim Duncan if it weren't for Greg Popovich? Because Greg Popovich has been that good in developing players. He didn't just develop, you know, Tim Duncan, he developed Tony Parker, he developed Manu Ginobili. He was huge in the development, and could Victor Wimanyama been be next? He certainly could, but time will tell. Um, Charlotte, the Charlotte Hornets, though, number two is very interesting. Very, it, it very is very interesting because they have three options here. They could draft Brandon Miller, which would probably be their best fit because they're kind of backcourt heavy right now, although they did have, like, the worst offense in the NBA. You know, Despite that, um, you know, Brandon Miller really does fit them best. He's a great defender. He's a great three-point shooter. That's exactly the type of player that they need. They could draft Scoot Henderson uh, with the second pick, which would make sense, too, because, as I said, Charlotte had one of the worst offenses in the NBA this past season. 
And Lo- although LaMelo Ball was injured for most of the season, you know, outside of LaMelo, they don't really have much consistent guard play. So, you know, getting a very talented offensive player in Scoot Henderson, who's already great in the mid, who's already great in the mid-range and in the paint, and he's only get his three-point shooting is only going to get better, you know. He could definitely he could definitely go. I could see him definitely going to Charlotte or they trade down. You know, any any option's good. However, I think the best option is to draft Brandon Miller because that's what they most need. Um, but if they draft Scoot Henderson, I could see it. The Blazer, the Blazer, the Trailblazer, so at number three is very interesting because right now you've got Damian Lillard, who obviously is very frustrated right now. You could see it. Like he tweeted out not too long ago, like people criticizing the Blazers getting number three, like oh. You know, Damian Lillard's literally putting his heart and soul, something like that. And, like, uh, uh, Damian Lillard responded, he's like, you know, trade me, let's find out. You know, if you think to back to Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown once did that. Caused the media firestorm. But, you know, I don't think, I don't really think Damian Lillard's going anywhere. However, when you're the Trailblazers and you're like, okay, we got Damian Lillard, we got Anthony Simons, you know, if we, if, if Brandon, if they don't get Brandon Miller, they probably trade down, because I think that Brandon Miller would be a fantastic fit for this team. However, Brandon Miller is also a fantastic fit for the Charlotte Hornets, because like when you think about it, Brandon Miller is basically a great fit for everybody. He's a he's an excellent defender with great with great mid range and paint skills, and it has fantastic three point shooting. Like he's the perfect guy you want in the NBA right now. And Charlotte and Portland would love him, but only one guy can have him. So you know, if Charlotte drafts, um, if Charlotte drafts Brandon Miller, you've got the Blazers. Like you know, that's the guy we wanted. They might trade down, you know. Or if Charlotte goes Scoot Henderson, Portland stays there. They draft Brandon Miller. Um, the Rockets, uh, I, I, I don't really know about them because, like, I'm not really high on the Rockets right now. Well, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm like, like low on the Rockets because I think they made a great hire in Emi Odoka. I think he's a great veteran presence for that team, and they needed one badly because of how piss poor. Well, that was a bit of a swear, but we'll, we'll move out of there. But, again, they had a really piss poor season this past year. They just had no chemistry whatsoever it literally looked like an AAU team out there and I and I think that Ime Odoka can really bring like stability to that team like um I was watching a video earlier today about like how highlight culture ruined basketball and that's a whole other topic but when you look at like the Houston Rockets the Houston Rockets are the perfect example of highlight culture ruining basketball did I say baseball before? Uh, uh, if I said baseball before, I apologize. I meant basketball. Because you've got Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. just, like, doing everything as they wish. And, um, the you know, the offense is going completely through them. And that leaves out everybody else. And it's just like, you know, what's the point? You know, you got Jalen Green. He's like, oh, I'm averaging 20 points. But what's the point if you're, you know, not shooting well? If you're not making the right play? You know? That that's just that I think that Emu Odoka is the type of coach that can sure that up, and it, it, people pointing and looking at Kevin Porter Jr. like you know he he does the same thing. Kevin Porter Jr. is a complete scorer. Okay, that that's what Kevin Porter Jr. does. He scores. 
He doesn't need to do anything else. He can play some defense, for sure. I think Udoka could definitely, like, sure up his defensive capabilities. But, like, he his main purpose, he's a scorer. So why are you guys getting mad at him for scoring? I, I, I think the more of the blame is on Jalen Green, you know. It is what it is. Houston has a lot of interesting options, though. You know, maybe they could draft Jerace Walker from Houston, a local product that was fantastic this past season for the Cougars. Um, a great defensive presence that could really uh, bring something to that team. You know, we could, be, you know, going into next season, you know, we could see with the rumors swirling around, we could see a lineup in Houston of Jalen Green, James Harden, uh, Kevin Porter Jr., Jarese Walker, and um, Alfred Shagun. You know, maybe the Rockets go Ahmed Thompson, but you never know. I think they're in a very weird position. I just think, like, you know, Brandon Miller, like, he was the guy that, you know, they probably wanted most. You know, every, I mean, everybody wanted Victor Wembanyama, obviously. But if, if, you know, if they couldn't get Victor, they're like, you know, we'll probably get um, Brandon Miller. But now looking at, you know, Charlotte and Portland ahead of them, probably can't get Brandon Miller. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they do at number four. And as for the Pistons, like, that was definitely a worst case scenario. It really was. Like, you know. Past this past season, you had the worst record in the NBA, and you fall to fifth in the draft lottery. That is pain. That is bad. And you know, if Houston doesn't go, um, Jarese Walker, Pit, the the Pistons could certainly get him, could surely draft him, or the Pistons could even trade down. But like that was easily the worst case scenario that could have happened for the Detroit Pistons was to fall to number five. You know, they were really banking on, like, oh, we can get Victor Wimbanyama and, you know, we tanked this past season. Uh, uh, me, personally, I don't like the tank, but, you know, you know, teams are going to do what teams want to do. Um, but, like, you know, I, that that was easily the worst thing that could have happened to them. Um, I, that, I, I don't know. I'm the, the, the NBA draft is very interesting because I'm not, like, too good with, like, understanding the NBA draft as I am the NFL draft. However, I probably will, you know, at some point I'll come, I'll come to uh, looking at the NBA draft and be like, okay, I, I understand all this and like this guy's gonna go here, you know, uh, who's the best fit? Because basically the biggest thing with the NBA draft is the top five of the biggest name guys, and that's who everybody looks at and they're like, okay, we need to have production from that point. However. If you're draft, if you're drafted even outside of the lottery, hell, even in the second round, like look at Nikola Jokic, like you, you, it doesn't matter where you're drafted. It's a as long as you're drafted into the right situation and you put in the work to become a great player, you you can become the star of an NBA franchise or you could become a very important role, role player. You know, have a good career in the NBA. It's not all about becoming a star. It's just about being stable in the NBA and being a contributor to a team. And it's so rare, it's like, when that happens. Like, you know, a team drafts a player at, like, what, 27, and they become a great role player. Like, it's, like, you can't really, you can't really point that out and be like, oh, that, this guy is going to be, you know, drafted by the Brooklyn Nets, and he's going to be a great role player. Like, you can't predict that. It's, it just happens. And I think that's what's so interesting about the NBA draft is, like, anybody can get drafted, and anybody can become um, a really good um, player, you know, given the right situation, given their um, commitment to getting better and fitting into the league or the team, you know, 
it, it's very hard to look at, but I'm definitely going to look at like def I'm definitely gonna look at the lottery or you know maybe even the first round and be like, okay, this guy's gonna go here, this guy's gonna go here, this is why I think this guy will go here, all that stuff. I might do that, but you know that might be a while. That might be a long way down the road. Maybe as we get closer to the NBA draft. Not right now though. If you guys remember, um, I alluded to this earlier with um, talking about Nikola Jokic as like an MVP level player. And when I, what I was alluding to was Joel Embiid, right? Now, if you didn't see, and you probably did, the Philadelphia 76ers lost game seven um, to the Boston Celtics after being up 3-2 in embarrassing fashion. Following the game, like three days after, Doc Rivers was fired. Are we shocked? Like, okay, Here, here's what I'm saying. This is easily, in my opinion, this is easily the biggest and greatest collapse in the Joel Embiid era in Philadelphia. Hands down. There is no way in hell you come off of sweeping the Brooklyn Nets you take a 3-2 lead after a huge Game 5 win in Boston, and you and you blow Game 6, and you flop in Game 7. Like, I'm getting mad right now, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm, well, I'm not getting mad, but I'm definitely not happy, because I really, I really pushed for Joel Embiid. I really did. I really, really did. I pushed for Joel Embiid. I'm like, this guy's an MVP. He's been the best player in the NBA regular season, you know, playoff playoff performance has been kind of shaky. It's, you know, throughout his whole career, they've been kind of shaky. But, like, you no, know, this guy has done so much work. You know, I pulled for this guy for MVP, and he won MVP, and it was awesome to see. And he goes out, loses an easily winnable, uh, a game six that was easily winnable because Jason Tatum was playing like garbage in game six. They, they, and they let the Celtics get that win. And then he went 5 for 18 in that game 7. And blew, basically the series was blown. I'm going to give you guys a, a, a brief history of Joel, of the Joel Embiid playoff era. 2018 lost the Celtics in the second round 4 to 1. They were they were up 3 or Celtics were up 3 nothing and you know 2019, they lost to Toronto in the second round. You know, is this the dagger? If you remember. 2020, got swept by Celtics in the bubble. 2021, lost to Atlanta in Game 7. Uh, blew that series really badly. If you remember that atrocious Game 5, and then obviously the Ben Simmons whiff dunk, which we all love. <laughs> you know? 2022, lost to Miami in the second round. And then this year, they lost to Boston after having a 3-2 lead. I see people are critiquing the firing of Doc Rivers. And for that, I ask you, why? Why? Why are we... Well, I, I get it, right? You could look at it and be like, oh, this is on the player. This is on MB. This is on Harden. Harden played... And I agree. James Harden played awful in Game 6 and 7. Like, literally awful. It looked like he was out there already thinking about going back to Houston. It, that it, it looked like he was just all oh, I'm gonna just chuck up shots and uh, eventually I'll just go back to Houston. Like that's what it looked like. Joel Embiid, well, Joel Embiid actually tried in Game Six. Game Seven was a bit was definitely rough, but James Harden he went out there. He looked like he barely tried. That's just that's just how I see it. 
and but but here's the thing. It's not like you like when you look at like Phoenix, you know, firing Monty Williams, which I didn't agree with, or Milwaukee, you know, uh, letting go of Mike Budenholzer, which I'm indifferent to. It's it's not like all it's just like oh we're kind of using these guys as scapegoats. Like Doc Rivers literally has a history of blowing leads. He's proven that he consistently blows leads and big games in the playoffs. He's lost ten game sevens in his career. The only highlight of his career was 2008 with the Celtics, where he where he won the championship after the big three was formed, plus Rajon Rondo, and and he, he, he here's the here's the rundown of his playoff uh, blown lead history. 2003 with the Orlando Magic, the Magic lost to the Pistons after being up 3-1. 2009, the next year after they won the championship, the Celtics lost to the Magic after being up 3-2. 2010, in the NBA Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers, they lost to the Lakers after they went up 3-2. Celtics, again in 2012, lost to the Heat after being up 3-2. If you remember Game 6, the infamous LeBron game where he absolutely torched them. 2015 goes to the Clippers, loses to the Rockets after being up 3-1. 2020, the Clippers lost to the Nuggets after being up 3-1 in the bubble. 2023, this year, Sixers lost to Celtics after being up 3-2. So if my math is right, that's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 blown series leads in his career. 7. Like, do you, uh, like, <clears throat> excuse me. Nobody can look at me, could look me in the face and be like, ah, like, if you saw that, right, if you saw, like, his history of blowing leads, you cannot look at that, then look me in the eye and be like, eh, you know, it is what it is, you know, that's his player's fault. Like, like, if it's once in a while, okay, I get it. I, I, I get it. If it's once in a while, it happens. If it happens seven times, seven times throughout your career... It's a trend. It means that you're not doing your job as a coach. And and you're like, oh, who are you to criticize? Who are you to criticize an NBA level coach? Look, look, the dude won an NBA championship. Not a lot of people could say that. Respect to him. But he, he's, he's proven consistently time and time again and again and again, seven times. That he can't, that he that he struggles to hold series leads seven times, right? Like, are we like it? it does it really? Is it really like not make that much sense that a guy who blew a lead, who blew a who blew a three two lead with the ability to go to the conference finals and go to the NBA finals even, is it really that shocking that a guy that blew a lead, uh, blew a chance to go to the conference finals? <laughs> And has had a history of blowing leads in the playoffs. Is fired for blowing a lead in the playoffs. Is it that hard to understand? But I understand what people are saying. That like, oh, this is more on James Harden and Joel Embiid than everything. I agree. I agree. I think those two were awful in game... Well, Joel Embiid wasn't really bad in game 6. He was okay. But game 7, he was definitely bad. James Harden was god-awful in both games. He was... I almost swore. <laughs> I almost swore. Because it's actually mad. It actually makes me mad how piss poor James Harden played in game six and seven. 
I, I like I said before, it looked like he was thinking about going back to Houston as those games were progressing. He looked so bad. I don't think he. I may be wrong about this, but I don't even think he made a three. Um, hold on. Excuse me. I'm, t- I'm getting water. Sorry about that. I don't think James Harden made a single three in game six and seven. If he did, I guarantee you he made only one. Only one. Because that's how bad James Harden played. It was literally awful. And, like, I, I'm not going to waste my breath on Joel or, or James. I, I, I will talk about Joel Embiid. But I'm not going to waste my breath on James Harden. Because it's obvious. He wants to go back to Houston. He said it before. He's like, he's he, reports came out. Like, uh, he's like very interested in going back to Houston. It's kind of clear with those two performances. It's very clear. It's very clear he does not want to be in It's very clear he wants to go back to Houston. I was also hearing reports that he wanted Doc Rivers fired. You know, what's the point of firing the coach if, you know, if you're going back to Houston? You should want to bury the, you want to bury the franchise even more? You know, it is what it is, man, with James Harden. Now, here's the thing with Joel Embiid, right? I get it. MVP is a regular season award. But I definitely think that playoff performance should have a judge on the MVP criteria. Because there is no way, there's no way an MVP level player should be performing like that in a closeout, in a potential closeout game, and then a game seven. There's just no way. If you are the most valuable in the NBA, you should be coming up big in big games. And not being a big reason for your team's bad performance. And... This this is these are Embiid stats in elimination games. He's three and six, and he's lost three elimination games in a row. Twenty two points, solid. Eleven point two rebounds a game, solid. Two assists, you know, it's assists don't really matter for Embiid. It is what it is. Here's where the the stats start to show, like you know, he's he, he really does struggle in elimination games. He only he he only makes thirty eight point eight percent of his field goals, twenty five percent of his threes, and he averages nearly five turnovers a game in elimination games. The, like, it's the same thing I'm mentioning with Doc Rivers, right? In blown series leads has become a trend throughout Doc Rivers' career. You know what's become a trend in Joel Embiid's career? Struggling in elimination games. It really has, and. You think and you, and again, you think back to his MVP season this past year. He averaged thirty-three plus a game in the regular season, and in the playoffs, he had a nearly ten-point decrease in points per game. in the playoffs, it was like thirty-three point four to like twenty-three point seven. It was bad. Like, if you're really the MVP. Are you performing like? Are you you you'd think you'd carry that MVP level of performance from the regular season to the playoffs? But he didn't, and that's the thing that he needs to fix. He needs to become a more consistent playoff player, because in the playoffs he looks lost. His biggest thing is that he's able to get calls, you know, and that's with most guys. And people are like, oh, a bunch of flopping, you know. Getting calls has always been a part of the game. It always has been. I don't want to hear anybody complaining about flopping and weakness and all that. Flopping for calls has always been a part of the game. 
Always will be. Anyways, with Joel Embiid, you know, if he's not getting those calls, he just looks lost. And not only that, if this dude is guarded by Al Horford, he might as well just pass the ball. He might as well. Because he can't make anything when guarded by Al Horford. Like, he really, like, I I like Joel Embiid, man. I really do. But, like, he really needs to come up big. You know, he really needs to improve his playoff performances. Because what do you want to be remembered as? Do you want to be remembered as a good regular season player but a playoff choker or one of the all-time greats? I think everybody would go for the latter, you know? He also made some interesting comments after Game 7. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said something to the tune of, me and James, James Harden, can't win alone. We need, you know, everybody on deck, something like that. And people are like, hold on, you're just going to throw everyone under the bus? Pause. Stop the brakes. All right? You, You look at the comments out of context, they're not a good look. But you add context to those comments, and by context, I mean his entire answer to the question and the question the reporter asked him what he said makes sense the reporter who asked him a question had to do like he asked him a question about James Harden returning to Philly so he answered and said that everyone needs to improve on themselves him included and this is the thing that social media does and I I, I said like you guys shouldn't care about like what social media does but this is my biggest problem with social media and the media in general they will take things like this where players will answer questions and then take little snippets from those from those quotes and be like he said this he doesn't care about his teammates when if you listen to the whole thing you're like oh he asked him this he answered it like this okay that makes sense you know that's my biggest gripe with social media and media in general they take things sorry that was my that was my uh dryer i'm recording in my basement uh (laughs) but um that's my biggest issue with the media is like they take things out of context and i just don't agree with it i think you need to be truthful like do you honestly think that joel Embiid would throw his players on the would throw his teammates under the bus no there's only a handful of guys like in sports history that are such prima donnas that they're gonna be like you know what everybody sucks like antonio brown you know and it's it's just weird and you also got to like think to yourself right this is the mvp of the league would the mvp of the nba like would he single out his teammates after a game seven blowout and not critique his own poor play no that rarely happens that never happens almost it's like think to like so people posting people posting this clip be like oh my god look what Joel Embiid said he's a bad teammate like don't fall for what you see at first when you see something you like if you're scrolling by and you see like if you're scrolling on you know Instagram you see Stephen A Smith like said something crazy you're like that's that's interesting you know let me hear what he has to say and see and be like oh it's Stephen A Smith's an idiot like people like this is the problem with people nowadays especially in social media, is they look at something and they react before they think. They're like, oh my gosh, this is awful, before they th- before it's like, oh, that's weird. 
What's the context to this story? Because context is such an important factor in stories, especially in sports media. And oftentimes, sports media companies leave out important bits of context for clicks and views and attention. And it works. You know what? It works. It, it, it's good. You know, you, you, you win ESPN. You got, or CBS or whatever. You got me to react. Whatever. I don't care. I'm just, I, that's just something I just don't agree with at all. It, like, it, like you, you think about it. Again, this is the MVP of the NBA. He's most valuable. And you saw, and like, if you saw the reaction to Joel Embiid winning NBA MVP, and you saw his teammates' reaction, his coach's reaction, you're like, oh, you know, they really care about him. So do you really think after that, and like seeing like, oh, these guys love him, man. They love him. Like, oh, he's going to throw him out of the bus. What? What? Are you serious? They come on. What he basically did, if you look at the entire quote, he acknowledged that everyone fell short. Including him. So all these people attacking like Joel Embiid's character, saying he's not a leader, just cut that, man. There's trolls and haters and just, you know, like, they're just as qualified to critique this man's character as I am. Because we don't know Joel Embiid. We don't know him. Wait, I don't know Joel Embiid? You don't know Joel Embiid? No. There's a lot of people that know Joel Embiid, right? And for somebody on Instagram to say, like, oh, this guy's a terrible teammate. Like, hold on, man. Do you know Joel Embiid? Because if you really knew Joel Embiid, you would be able to make that assumption, or you would able to be make you would you would be able to make that conclusion. But you don't know Joel Embiid, so you're not concluding; you're assuming. It like like could he have like could he have worded his answer differently? Yes, he could have, but um. His intentions were not to cry out like, "Oh, James and I need help, man. We like we can't do this all by ourselves." You know, he's saying that everyone just needs to improve. Everybody, like they need to get better in these situations. They come back stronger. I don't see anything wrong with it. He's like, "Yeah, you know, we can't do it alone. You know, everybody needs to get better. I need to get better." What's wrong with that? That's accountability. Is accountability really bad in this day and age? Because if accountability is bad in this day and age, then we've really fallen off, man. Because what good what do good leaders do? They hold you accountable. They hold themselves accountable. They hold you account. They hold everybody around them accountable, and they lead you to the promised land, the goal, whatever. I and I, I hope that like what Joel Embiid said isn't the case. If some people are saying like, "Oh, he's a bad teammate," I hope that's not the case. I. Because I like to see the good in things, and you know, from what I've seen online, it's like, you know, Joel Embiid, you know, he looks like a good guy. He looks like a great teammate. The way his teammates support him, and we're so happy to see him win MVP. But, you know, people in social media, they're just gonna say whatever they please, you know? That's just how it rolls. The final basketball topic. I really got to gear up for this, so I'm going to take a little bit of a long drink. Because it's interesting, to say the least. <laughs> it's very, very, very interesting. If you didn't know, if you were living under a rock, not to insult you, but if you just didn't know, John Morant, Memphis Grizzlies star guard, was suspended by the team after an Instagram Live video uh, went viral of him brandishing a gun uh, 
again and now this video is pending league review and a suspension is likely to come again for John Moran. <sighs> man. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There, there, there's a lot to unpack, okay? And I've been looking on everything for this situation. I've been like, because this is a tricky situation. This is a very tricky situation. And the, and the reason this is more, this is trickier than the first instance was because it happened again. Like, if it happened once and it's like, you know what, I'm going to be better and I'm going to move past it and it never happened again, we'll live our lives. But now it's happened again and we don't know what's going on. And everybody's chiming in like, oh, I think this, I think this, I think that, I blah, blah, blah. It's very interesting, right? So you got to tread lightly in this situation. So, like, so, so... To start from the beginning, the first suspension, if you don't remember, John Morant was suspended for eight games after a video of him in a club was shown with him with a gun. Uh, ja went on an interview segment with Jalen Rose and said, quote, I know what I have to lose, and he has to be, quote, more responsible, more smarter, and staying away from all the bad decisions. So it's obvious to me that the last situation and all the media firestorm and all the consequential events like the counseling that followed didn't work with him. He he went there think about it. Like you think it's like like oh I'm going to go to count I'm going to go to counseling for 2 weeks and I'll be better. Do you think that works? It doesn't work. Like and even and even then, like counsel, and even then, like counseling, like it's never meant to fix you. It's just to give you like a perspective of like this is how everything's going on with you. You have to make this. You have to make the choices of whether you want to get better or not. And that, and what John Moran did, and I'll get to like the the you know like the um the 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 video itself and like explain what happened basically, but like. You have, like, when you go to counseling, they don't say, like, oh, this is what you have, uh, like, oh, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to help you with this. They're like, no, I'm going to help you as much as I can, but you have to put the work in to get better. So it's obvious, so that shows me that, so it shows me that Jaw, you know, didn't put the work in to get, to, you, know, to, you know, improve himself. Well, I don't know if I want to say that, because, you know, like, he only went to counseling for, like, what, eight days, if that, like, you can't just go to counseling for like eight days and be like, oh, I'm good. It takes a long time. I've been in counseling for like years and I'm not going to get into what I go to counseling for, but it helps, you know? And I've learned so much from counseling and you think like, you think I would like, oh, I'm going to go there for a week and then I'll be good after. No, you have to continually go because there's always stuff coming up in life and you're like, okay, I got to understand everything. I got to bring this up to my counselor and be like, hey, what do I do? You know, what do I do about the situation? They give you the information. They they say what they think about it. And they're like, okay, you got to make the choice of what you got to do now. You you can't just go there for a week and be like, ah, I'm good. You know, doesn't work. It, it, that's just not good. So, so on to the second video. John Morant was seen with a gun on his friend's Instagram live while the two were singing along the music. You could see his friend, uh, Devontae Pack, notice the gun, and he would quickly, like, move the phone away, but the image, you could, like, see it, you know, like, he's, he, he's got, he's, he, he's, it looks like he's got a gun, like, I don't know what else it could be, you know, what else could it be? <laughs> uh, 
and he, I don't want to be this type of guy, right? But I'm very critical of the people that John Morant chooses to surround himself with, and that includes like this the the guy who made the guy who went on IG live with Ja Devonte Peck. That includes him, because although he was smart, he was the smartest guy in that car. He saw the gun. He's like, nope. You, he can't. We can't see that. But it's too late. At least he was smart enough to put the video away. I'll say that. However, this dude's got in trouble before a lot. This was the same guy who was banned from Grizzly games for life after walking on the court to instigate with the Indiana Pacers players, starting an argument with, between his group and Pacers staff, and then allegedly aimed a red laser at the bus of Pacers, Pacers personnel. He's also the same person, along with Ja, who was accused of attacking a high school basketball player during a pickup game at Ja's house, and like you could like you could t- and. You could tell that this guy, like, uh, like he's definitely very loyal to Ja, and that's great. You know, you would want loyal friends like that. But what are loyal friends if, you know, they're doing things like this that are jeopardizing your image? You know? But uh, although I do think, like, you know, like, you know, he's definitely made some really bad mistakes. And if, and you know, you, you could definitely question, like, you know, is this the best guy, you know, for Ja to be around? He's the <laughs> excuse me. He was the smartest guy in that car to move the phone away from Jaw holding the gun, but it was too late. And before you people say like, "Oh, Jaw didn't know." If you watch the whole video, you watch the whole live, you could see John Morant look at the camera, look at the camera, and it said, and, and you could see. Uh, here's the thing, right? You, you could see that he's recording, and then he takes out the gun and starts vibing to the music. And you're like, well, he, well, he doesn't know, like, <clears throat> excuse me, he doesn't know that it's being li- live-streamed. Here's my counter-argument, though. Even though the video, even though if he didn't know that the video was, be- that it was live-streamed, if it was just a simple recording, why do you need a gun to... Why do you need a flash of gun while you and your friend are just vibing to music? Like, do you honestly think, like... <laughs> do you honestly think that me and my friend are gonna, like, vibe to music and I'm just gonna pull out a weapon and be like, Yeah, we're having fun. Like, no. Like, nobody does that. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. Like... And if he did... And if he did... It, like if he did, if he didn't know that it was live stream, thought it was just a normal video, why take out a gun in the first place to vibe along with the music? What does a gun do? Like what does it do? <sighs> there are people putting blame on John Morant's father, T. Morant, um, and that's a very interesting scenario because yeah John's a grown man he should be able to make the right choices and like you know think for himself um but like I'm not a, uh, here's the thing I'm not a father take what I say very lightly you don't have to but as a father would it not be would it not still be your responsibility to maintain a parental role for your kids when they make mistakes like you're just gonna be like you're telling me as a father like if my son is like you know he he got in trouble with the law and you could be like and I'm just gonna be like well figure it out you know 
No, I, I, I'll lecture him. He might not like it because he'd probably be like, oh, Dad, you know, I'm a grown man. You know, I can make these decisions myself. Like, obviously you can't. You got in trouble with the law, so now I got to lecture you. This is the same situation I see with, you know, John Morant's father, where it feels like he's just, like, he's just lenient with Ja. Like, he just doesn't, like, he's just, like, he lets him do what he wishes. And this is no, this is no, dis, like, I want to say this. This is no discredit to T. Morant as a father. Like, it's very impressive, and it's great that your son is playing in the NBA. Like, how many, how many dads can say that, you know? How many dads can say, my son's an NBA superstar? And you probably have a lot to do with that, to do with your child's development to be able to get to that point in life. But when he starts making mistakes, he starts slipping up, you're like, mm, I'm not going to say anything, you know? Like, what? That just doesn't make sense to me, you know? Like, you can't just assume that they're going to, like, your your child's going to figure it out. Like, they, they might just not figure it out. They, they might, like, again, this is the same thing, like, in the first situation, like, Jaws, like, you know, maybe you could say, like, you know, his dad was probably like, you know, figure it out, Jaw. This is what happens, even figure it out. Like, you have to be guidance for your kid when they make a big mistake like this. That's how I feel. You just, and you, like, you can't start acting like a friend or a sibling to your kid when you're meant to be their parent. Uh, it's just fair. It's it's very. Uh, but uh, all in all, I wouldn't play put blame on the dad. You know, like what does the dad have to do with it? You know, the dad, the uh, T. Morant. You know, he's he he's just on the sideline. You know, he's just there at the games, and he's definitely a he's definitely a presence at those games. They see him like they put him on the camera all the time. <clears throat> but all in all, like you know. Is he is he the guy that pulled the gun out? No, that was Jaw. Jaw, like this is on Jaw. I want people to understand, like as I say this right now, how influential he is, not just in Memphis, but in the country as as he's a huge name. Not only he's the face of the Memphis Grizzlies, he's a he's a face of the NBA, and I believe a punishment is warranted. I have no problem. Like, look, people have been saying over and over again, right? Like, like, oh, it's a Second Amendment right. He can carry a gun. Like, <clears throat> I have no issue with that. I have no issue with him carrying a gun. But why the need to flex it and flaunt it like a toy for, like, what, 100 viewers on Instagram Live? What's the point? What's the point? I just, like, I don't get, like... And you're like, well, they well, they still have the right to carry it. Like, yeah, they have the right to carry it. I get it. But there are certain rules that the NBA has to when these things happen. Why do you think Gilbert Arenas got... Why do you think Gilbert Arenas, like, basically fell out of the NBA? Like, I, And that whole situation's definitely, like, a whole lot more different because, de- because Gilbert Arenas committed a crime. You, you can't be pointing guns at people. And John didn't point a gun at anybody. But still, like, you can carry a gun. But why do you need to flaunt it like a toy? It's not a toy. It's not a toy. It's made for defense. It's made for attack. 
It's a gun. It's not a toy. I don't understand how people can't understand this. I also don't understand how people can't understand. That was a weird sentence. Anyway, I don't understand how people can't get, like, the NBA has certain rules with this. Like, you can't flash guns on, you know, like, live videos or videos or whatever and, like, anything on social media. Like, you know, certain... Certain, um, certain people have, certain, like, organizations have, like, rules for that. The NBA is one of them. You can't just be, like, flaunting guns like toys on social media. It makes the company look bad. It makes the team look bad. It makes the player look bad. Like, I'm, it's, like, I'm sure a lot of athletes out there carry. I'm sure they do. But is there a reason for them to, to like, flail the gun around like a toy? Because it's not a toy. There's no reason for Jaws to have taken it out and, you know, like, bounced around and danced around with it like it's a toy. Because it's not. That's my issue. It's, like, people thinking, like, oh, you know, it's a Second Amendment, right? He shouldn't be, he shouldn't be scrutinized for this. Like, he can carry as long as, as, as long as, you know, he has a license for that gun. I got no issue with him carrying. I have an issue with him, like again, using it like it's a toy, because it's not a toy. And uh, and as for like a punishment of itself, like I I don't think it should be for you know half of a season. Certainly shouldn't be a whole season. Like I, I, yeah, what Ja did was boneheaded. It was poor. But here's the thing, he, he didn't break a law. He just made a really dumb decision. And by really dumb decision, I mean, like, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious decision. Like, really dumb decision, you know? <laughs> he made a dumb decision. Um, he didn't, you know, he didn't break a law. He didn't hurt anybody. I think, you know, I think he probably gets suspended maybe 30 games. Maybe 25 to 30 games. Could he get suspended for half a season? Yes. I could see that. But here's the thing. When you make mistakes like this, there are three things that you got to understand. Number 1, you got to own up to it. That's number that's number 1. You got to you you can't just put out, you know, AI generated um apologies and be like, "Oh, I'm sorry that I did this. I make sure I will never do it again." No. You can you got to be honest. You got to be open with it. You're like, "Yeah, I met I met I, I messed up, man." I messed up, and this will never happen again. I'm going to commit myself to becoming a smarter person, better man, and I'm going to be there for my team. Something like that. Number two, you got to take it upon yourself to learn to make better choices after you learn how to own up to your mistake. And then number three, you got to seek help from others because I'm in the boat of being like, you can't figure it out all by yourself, you know? This is this goes back to, like, with his father. Like, you know, he goes up to your dad, like, you know, Oh, do you got any advice? You go to, like, a counselor for more than eight days or whatever, how long for long he was there, and be like, okay, you know, what do I need to do? What do I need to understand? You have, like, if you're really committed to wanting to be better, and for Jaws' case, if you are really committed to being a star in the NBA, to being an NBA player and a role model to children, you have to be committed to stop, you have to be committed to being a better person and you have to stop making bad decisions. That's how I that's how I see it. And all in all, it's a very weird situation. 
Because here, here, this is what really scares me with Ja Morant. Because I really do like him. He's a very exciting player. But the thing with Ja is the the incident after the Denver game. That's strike one. This incident is strike two. And I'm really scared that John Morant might strike out. I'm really scared. Because for a talent like this, he's 23 years old. He's 23, right? 23. And, like, he's 23. He has his whole career ahead of him, and he's choosing to make these poor decisions. Like, I don't know, man. He, he just needs to figure it out, you know what I'm saying? Like he really needs to figure it out, and I really hope he does. I really hope we. I really hope he takes the time to understand, like, the dis, like the decision make his decision making over this past year has been really bad, and I hope he takes it upon himself to learn from the mistakes, to learn to be smarter, to make better decisions, and hey, you know, maybe surround yourself with better people, you know, people that have your success and your like your best wishes in their mind. That's what I think is the most important. But I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, I don't like Josh's friends. I'm going to criticize them because, like, you know, I'm, I personally don't, even though I might have just done that. Uh, it, you know, it is what it is. But I'm not going to, like, personally, because, like, I'm not going to say, I'm not saying, and I didn't say, but I'm not going to say, like, oh, Josh should probably, you know, find better friends. Like, I didn't say that. I'm just saying he should probably think about, like, who he surrounds himself with. It's up to him to, you know, you know, if he wants to cut people off from his life and, you know, find new people that have his interest in mind, <clears throat> I'm not advocating for it, though. It's up to him. It is all up to him. And that ends a very lengthy section uh, for basketball. A lot of stuff happened. Moving into a, a little hockey section, um, last night was an insane game between the Florida Panthers and the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, in game one, the Hurricanes cashed in in the power play to take a 1-0 lead uh, as Seth Jarvis scored in the first period. The Panthers would tie it. Uh, going to the second period, the Panthers would tie it with an Alexander Barkov goal and then take the lead with Carter Verhage, my arch nemesis. If you didn't know, Carter Verhage sco scored the game-winning goal in game seven against Boston Bruins, so he is automatically my arch nemesis. I'm just kidding, Carter Verhage. You know, I'm mad that you scored the goal, but I like you as a player. I think you're really good. You know, it is what it is. The Canes were tied early in the third quarter with another power play, this time from Stefan Nosen. Uh, and we would go to overtime. But we wouldn't go to just one overtime. We went to two. No, not two. Not three. But four overtimes. And we nearly got a fifth overtime until with 12 seconds to go, Matthew Kotchuk, the heart uh, I think it's I think the Hart Trophy is the MVP trophy. Uh, if I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong. The Hart Trophy finalist Matthew Kochuk scored 12 seconds to go, gave Florida an insane win. It was a hell of a game, hell of a game. Like if you like goaltending, that's your game. Frederick Anderson had like 57 saves. Sergey Bobrovsky was insane. 63 saves on 65 uh, um on 65 shots on goal I believe. Like that's nuts. That is nuts. That like and he did and he shut out the 
Carolina Hurricanes, one of the best offenses in the NHL for damn near four overtimes. Like, this is, like, that, I mean, for the Boston Bruins, you know, that was a big reason why that series swayed the way it did because Sergei Bobrovsky elevated to a whole other level in the playoffs, and he's continuing that play into the East, into the Eastern Conference Finals. And, you know, if, if Florida Panthers win the Stanley Cup, you know, if they make the Stanley Cup, you know, whatever happens, he's a big reason why they're there right now. And as I said, I'm going to try to uh, recap this just very quickly. Um, game one of the Western Conference Finals. Excuse me. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights were able to take a 1-0 lead over the Dallas Stars with a 4-3 victory in overtime. Scoring would, scoring would get started as the Dallas Stars took the lead in the first period behind Jason Robertson. Uh, in the second period, William Carlson would tie the game 1-1 going into the third period. Then, William Carlson would score again to give the Vegas Golden Knights an early lead. However, Rupe Hintz came back with his 10th goal of the playoffs to tie the game. Teddy Bluger came back to notch his first goal of the playoffs to give the, to give the Knights the lead. However, Jamie Benn would go on to tie the game, take it to overtime, but going into overtime... Early on, Brett Howden, did I say that right? Yep, Brett Howden would score early in overtime to give the Vegas Golden Knights the win and the series lead. That game, that series should be very entertaining. That's a really fun one. I'm very excited for that series. Really good win for the Vegas Golden Knights. Should be a really, really nice series to watch. And, and I've, had, I've had, you know, people in my family, specifically my dad, I know you're listening to this, so I hope you hear this. Like, I understand he's mad with Florida and Carolina being in the, being in the um the the Eastern Conference Finals and stuff. But you know, when you look at it as a sports fan, like this has been an incredibly fun and an entertaining playoffs. It really has been. And right now, these teams have gutted, it, especially when you look at the Florida Panthers. They've gutted it out, and also the Carolina Hurricanes, the Dallas Stars, and the Vegas Golden Knights. They've gutted it out. They've um, made their way to. They've all made their way to the final four of the NHL, and you know, looking at the trajectory of the um, playoffs right now, you know, it doesn't matter who wins, but we're in for a hell of a Stanley Cup, that's for sure. And that rounds out the quick hockey section. And finally, moving on to combat sports, mainly. Um, mainly the UFC because, oh, well, I wouldn't say UFC, but mainly MMA because the biggest headline that came pe in this past weekend was, uh, in combat sports was former UFC heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou signing with the Professional Fighters League. Uh, Ngannou, who is 36 years old and holds a record of 17-3, and Wolf says he will fight for, for PFL in 2024 against an opponent to be determined. I'm not too familiar with the PFL, so I can't say I can't tell you like, oh, he's gonna fight this guy for the PFL because I don't understand it really much. I understand they have like a playoff bracket type format. It's very interesting. I want to get into it now. Now that Ngannou's over there, he's also going to be able to take part in a pro boxing match, which might be which might be this year. Um, there was a, that though, like his ability to take part in boxing was very a, a big part of his free agency. 
Um, with PFL Europe having drawn eyes to unknown European talent, PFL Africa wishes to do the same when it's created in 2025, and Francis Ngannou is actually going to be the chairman and equity owner of PFL Africa, and he has made it known in, um, he's made it known prior, in, like, prior interviews that he's always had an interest in developing African talent in combat sports, which is really nice to see. And this is probably the best outcome that Francis Ngannou could have got. He fell out of contract talks with the UFC after being able to get a boxing match clause or and uh, universal health care for athletes. That's been a very big topic for um, the UFC that they do not have universal health care for athletes. You would think that they do with the with the way that they beat the hell out of each other, but they don't. It's 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 an interesting debate topic, and I'm not too. Uh, Pravi on it, so I'm not gonna like say I'm I'm agree with this or that. But the one thing I can't deny is um, what Francis Ngannou has done because nobody has fought against the UFC's ideals and got what they wanted. You know, Randy Couture did it a long time ago. Conor McGregor never really got it. I mean, he did get it because he got the big money boxing match that he wanted with Floyd Mayweather. But nobody has ever challenge the UFC and be like, yeah, you're going to give me all this money, but I want this, this, this. I want to be able to make a difference. And the UFC's like, no. And no matter if you hate Ngannou, you call him overrated, whatever, yeah, I, I don't care. He got what he wished for. He got the ability to hold a majority role in the development of African combat sports talent. He got the ability to get a massive payday from boxing. You know, depends on if he fights Tyson Fury, if he fights Deontay Wilder, you know, whomever he fights. It's great great opportunity for him there and he and he's also getting equity for fellow fighters as Ngannou's opponent in 2024 uh, according to Ngannou will receive around two million dollars which is nuts so so congratulations to you Francis Ngannou um I've always been a huge supporter a supporter of Francis I've always liked him I really hated when he left the UFC because I was really hoping we would see that matchup between Francis Ngannou and John Jones but things didn't work out and um, people questioned like oh this is going to be a big mistake for him but it's really not man he, he's get, he's going to make a lot of money now. He's going to be able to do a boxing match as he wishes. And he's going to be able to um, develop African talent, which is something that he really wanted to do. Um, so, you know, whether whatever you think about Francis Agano, he, he got what he wanted at the end of the day. Finally, rounding it out, um, UFC announced uh, major, major fights. A whole slew of fights for UFC 291 and 292. This is going to be the last thing we talk about. I'm just going to go over uh, the fights. Uh, and I'm going to give my um, uh, little perspective on them. Uh, for 291, which is going to take place in Salt Lake City in Utah in July, I believe. Uh, two very interesting um the two very interesting prelim fights, uh, heavyweight as number as the eleventh ranked heavyweight Derek Lewis will take on uh, UFC vet Marcos Robiero de Lima. That should be a very interesting fight. You know, maybe we see a Derek Lewis knockout. You know, I love me some Derek Lewis. I always have. Uh, welterweight is actually a really good welterweight fight in the prelims as. Uh, no, that's 15th ranked welterweight Michelle Pereira will be taking on 7th ranked welterweight Steven Wonderboy Thompson. Wonderboy is always a joy to watch, so that fight should be really, really nice to watch. I, I, I've heard really good things about Pereira too, so that, that might be interesting. 
now moving on to the main card uh the main card will open up with another welterweight bout as 12th ranked michael chiesa will take on kevin holland kevin holland's a huge fan favorite among the uh ufc faithful i love kevin holland too michael chiesa is really good so very excited to see that fight Lightweight, the lightweight bout. Uh, Tony Ferguson will make it. Will be making his return to the octagon after a four-fight skid. You know, he suffered some really bad losses, including uh, the Elf Just Gaethje, then Benil Dariush, then M- Michael Chandler, and then Nate Diaz. And he and you know, it's going to be very hard for him to get a win because he's facing a really good fighter in Bobby Green. Uh, at UFC 291, so we'll see what happens there. Should be a very entertaining fight, though, because any fight with Tony Ferguson is really good. Middleweight's a very then there's a middleweight bow. This one's very interesting. Paulo Costa, fifth-ranked middleweight, uh, another fan favorite, is going to be taking on uh, budding middleweight prospect Ikram Aliskarov. Uh, he had a uh, had a really good performance in, at UFC 288. Um, and he's a very interesting fighter because the only loss of his career, I believe, was to Hamza Shimaev. So it, it, he he's definitely a very interesting guy to look at in the middleweight division. If he's able to beat Paulo Costa, you know he's gonna soar up the rankings. The and then there's going to next up in the co-main of the 291 will be number three Jan Blahovich, former light heavyweight champ of the world, taking on the debuting light heavyweight Alex Pereira. Uh, Pereira, obviously, he's coming off of his um, knockout loss versus Israel Adesanya. He's made it clear that he wants to move up to 205, and his first opponent is going to be a former champion in Jan Blahovich. It should be an incredible fight. You know, it's going to be interesting, though, because, you know, Blaho- because Blahovich before, when he faced Israel Adesanya um, for the light heavyweight title, his... His game plan was to grapple. He did not want to stand in front of a kickboxer. You know, are we going to see the same when he takes on Alex Pereira, former kickboxer? We'll see. And this one, the main event of 291, I'm very excited for. Lightweight bout between between second-ranked lightweight Dustin Poirier and third-ranked uh, lightweight Justin Gaethje. I've been calling for this fight to happen ever since Gaethje beat Rafael Fiziev. And it's coming true. We are getting the rematch between Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje. <clears throat> and it's not just going to be for light, lightweight title implications. It's also going to be for the BMF title. If you guys don't remember, or if you guys aren't familiar with the UFC and you aren't familiar with the BMF title, basically BMF title is a title that was made up to sell a fight between Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz back when Jorge Masvidal... Excuse me. Back when Jorge Masvidal was on his rise, um, it, basically the BMF title was created to, uh, you know, set up the fight because Jorge and Nate were two of the baddest mother, you know what's, uh, in the game at the time. So they were just gonna get it, get down to the cage and see, um, w- see and saw what happened. Uh, it was a very interesting fight, though. Uh, the fight ended after the after a doctor stoppage. They and Jorge Masvidal ended up winning, and then Dwayne Johnson put the bell on uh, Jorge Masvidal. It was it was really weird, but ne- but when you got two fireworks type fighters, when you got Dustin Poirier, you got Justin Gaethje, you're guaranteed a banger. And their first fight was an absolute banger as well, as Poirier defeated um, 
as Poirier defeated Gaethje via a round four TKO. So, the, but not only is this fight going to be for the BMF title or whatever, <clears throat> this fight is also going to be huge in lightweight implications because next month at 289, uh, number one Charles Oliveira, in, uh, I'm talking about lightweights, number one Charles Oliveira, former champion, is going to be taking on fourth-ranked Benil Dariush, and that one's going to be big too because, you know, Charles wins, he's probably going to want to vie for a rematch with Islam Makachev, the current champion, and, you know, if Benil wins, that's going to, you know, that puts him at, like, hey, I want the title shot, and you've got Poirier and Gaethje going at it, so... I mean, the lightweight division is a very interesting position right now, especially with, um, you know, Michael Chandler, the fifth-ranked, um, the fifth-ranked lightweight right now. He's eventually going to be fighting Conor McGregor at the end of Tough 31. Very fun time for the lightweight division as of right now. And rounding out, there was two championship fights announced for UFC 292. Legitimate championship fights, by the way. Uh, women's strawweight, uh, champ. Uh, the current strawweight champion Zhang Wei Li taking on the fourth ranked strawweight Amanda Lemos. That should be a pretty good fight. Zhang Wei Li is an absolute killer in the cage. She is fantastic. And this fight, and you know, probably want to get a fight in. And you know, down the line, we may see a uh, fight between Zhang Wei Li and Yan Jiaonan uh, in China. In all, um, two strawweights from China throwing it down in China. I would love that. And very excited for this fight. They've been building this fight for a long time, and we saw it at UFC 288. 292, <clears throat> UFC 292 in Boston. I forgot to mention that. UFC 292 is in Boston in, like, August, I believe. Is going to be headlined by bantamweight champion Aljamain Sterling taking on second-ranked Sugar Sean O'Malley. That should be an absolutely fun fight because those two have been going at it. Uh, if you saw post-fight um, after Aljo beat Henry Cejudo, um, Sean O'Malley got in the cage. They started talking. And by the way, Marab Valshvili took taking. I, saw, I said taking, but he took uh, <laughs> took Sugar uh, Sean O'Malley's uh, jacket. It was hilarious. But um, I'm very, very, very excited for that fight because those two have been those two have been going at it, and Sean O'Malley's been vying for this for a while. You know, he he said uh, before on his when he went on Joe Rogan's podcast that you know ever since he beat Piotr Jan, he's like I know I want the title fight. That's the only fight I'm taking. It's against the title, and he got it. He's going to be facing um, he's going to be facing Aljamain Sterling for the belt at 292. And in my opinion, you know, <clears throat> it, it, this is my early prediction. You know, if Aljamain Sterling beats Sean O'Malley, you know. We might be having the conversation that Aljamain Sterling might be one of the best heavyweights. Or, or not heavyweight. He's definitely not a heavyweight. But, you know, when he's not cutting, he looks like a heavyweight. But he, we might be, you know, if Aljo were to beat Sean O'Malley at 292, we might be talking about Aljo as one of the best bantamweights of all time. And that's a bit crazy considering, you know, the legacy of guys like Dominic Cruz, TJ Dillashaw. But, you know, for him... For Aljo to have won the title the way he did with a DQ, to later on go on to beat and avenge his uh, the weird fight that he had first had with Piotr Jan, to win that fight, unify the championship, then went out and destroyed TJ Dillashaw, then defeated Henry Sudo in an incredibly close fight, 
And, you know, if he beats an incredibly talented fighter in Sean O'Malley, like, we might have to dis- start that discussion of Aljo being a top a top tier bantamweight of all time. But that's for later. And that is all I have for this episode. I want to thank you guys uh, for tuning in. Um, I'm very excited to be back. I got a really uh, um, got a really good episode uh, for you planned for you guys. Um, n- uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. Uh, I got a really good a, a really good episode planned for you guys um, on Monday. Um, that's what I'm going to be doing my. That's when we're going to be doing my draft analysis and looking at every team and it'll be like, okay, I like this, I like this from this team, I like this, and I don't like this, all that stuff. I'm gonna, re- I'm going to be recapping, um, continue. I'm gonna be recapping playoff action with hockey and, um, and basketball. I might throw in some baseball in there. Um, another big thing is, to, I'm actually recording this uh, at on Saturday. So this is gonna come out Saturday, and this so this is gonna come out Saturday, not Friday as I intended, but it is what it is. But uh, later tonight, as uh, because I'm recording this morning, but later tonight, um, Devin Haney and Vasily Lomachenko are gonna be fighting for the undisputed lightweight title, I believe it is. I forget that, but that should be a really good fight. Um, Devin Haney right now, one of the best boxers in the world, and Vasily Lomachenko is like an absolute killer. Um, it should be a, veter- a very entertaining fight. I, I will be recapping that in the Monday episode um, for you guys. But, yeah, that's going to round it out. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I hope you guys uh, enjoy the show. I'm really happy to be back. And with that being said, this is Colin Bish signing off for episode four of the Bish Show. <laughs>